every haunted place has a story with a dark past. This is Ghost Encounters Podcast. Welcome back, all you spooky people, to the Ghost Encounters Podcast. I am paranormal investigator Justin Torok. And I'm Jordan, the group scientist. I'm Hannah, your death-obsessed bestie. Before we get into this episode, we have some really cool announcements. Uh, First, we launched our holiday merch. It is really cool. We brought back two designs from last year. We have a new design this year of a really creepy ghost wearing a Santa hat. It's fun. It's spooky. Makes great holiday gifts. I bought it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my fiance bought it too. (laughs) I bought some. uh, We've gotten some orders in left and right. So I highly suggest if you want to try and get some of this stuff before the holidays to put it in your orders quick before stuff is sold out and to ensure that you get it in time to wrap it and give it to your loved ones during the holidays. Yeah, it would be a good idea for like Secret Santa gifts, stocking stuffers. Mm-hmm. Don't forget about the stocking yeah, stuffers. Yeah, of course. Your dad needs a shirt. Get your dad a shirt. <laughs> your aunt, your cousin twice removed. They all need shit. <laughs> Turn them onto the podcast. It does make great presents. If you want to get something for yourself, hey, sometimes I get something for myself during the holidays. So. It just, you need a little treat. Exactly. Oh, yeah, I'm always getting, not even one thing, maybe three things <laughs> for myself. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> and so I'm really excited for this podcast episode. Um, it's called Spirits of Justice. And there's a couple stories here. Jordan, you've been talking about the story that you're going to share for quite some time. Yeah, probably Hannah, you've mentioned one. yours. Yep. Um, so I'm really excited to get into it. Uh, in this chilling episode, we dive into the mysterious intersection of ghosts and unsolved murders. What happens when the departed return, not to haunt, but to solve the mysteries surrounding their very own death? Today, we unravel the spectral tales of spirits on a quest for justice. I'm stoked for this episode because we're intertwining uh, true crime with the paranormal. It's really cool. And why don't we switch things up? And Hannah, how about you start first? Okay. Uh, Happily. I'm also kind of a true crime girly uh, myself. And I do listen to uh, Murders While I'm Folding My Socks. <laughs> we are putting that on the list of Hannerisms. Oh, term coined by my wonderful cousin, Chris. Thank you for listening, bud. And Chris, shout out. Thanks for your purchase of the two Ghost Encounter shirts. You've been great, bud. <laughs> uh, but today on the podcast, we are going to be, I am going to be talking about uh, the story of Elva Zona Heaster Shoe. Um, before I get into any of this, I'm just going to state that Elva Zona Heaster Shoe uh, typically goes by her middle name, Zona, uh, and that's how I'm going to going to be referring to her through this episode, because that's a lot of names and it will get confusing. Um, Elva Zona Hoster Shoe. It sounds like some kind of nursery rhyme or something. It does. <laughs> like John Jacob Jingleheimer yeah. Schmidt. Uh, (laughs) i'm sorry zona uh she went by zona she went by her middle name uh and zona is also known as the greenbrier ghost after her home in greenbrier county west virginia Hmm, Um, and i'm stoked to be talking about this one because it's being that it takes place in west virginia it's another like appalachian kind of folk story and you guys know i'm a a big fan of the appalachian shit Um, isn't West Virginia also Mothman? Yes. <laughs> Can you leave of the course. state? Can you no, leave it? <laughs> not until you I need touch to the go butt. to West Virginia. Oh, that reminds me. <laughs> not to interrupt the story. We're just getting into it. But Hannah is going to work 
her graphic design skills on a Mothman shiny ass shirt. It's gonna happen. <laughs> it's gonna happen. I'm gonna get to it. We'll yes. get it. It'll... I knew the Mothman ass was gonna find its way into every episode. <laughs> Here we are. Here it is again. <laughs> West Virginia, take me home to uh, Mothman's big shiny butt. He's thick. <laughs> People say that. No. The boy's thick. <laughs> uh, but let's bring it back to Zona. Um, her story is a very cool story, but also kind of a stone cold bummer. Uh, like most ghost stories, right. Zona's death was a an unfortunately violent one. Um, however, this is also one of the rare times when the system bends to a family that is looking for justice and closure. Mm. Further making this case noteworthy is that this is the only time in the United States that the word of a ghost helped solve a crime and convict a murderer. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, Zona's out here doing her best. Definitely a spirit of justice. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good title. I like that title. Um, I wonder who made that up. Right? For the podcast episode. <laughs> Justin's out here wordsmithing. Well, the first thought was Spirit of Vengeance, but I was like, that's Ghost Rider. So. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. That's funny. So, Spirits of Justice. It's like the tagline of the movie, is it? Or Because I've heard it, kind of like what he is. Comics. Right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> In 1896, Zona was living with her mother in the town of Lewisburg, West Virginia. Uh, and Zona was known to be a greater than average beauty. So she was a very, very pretty girl. Um, and she was very close to her mom. So they had like this this wonderful relationship. They got along super well. Mm -hmm. When a handsome young man calling himself Edward Shue came to town to practice his trade of blacksmithing, Zona caught his eye. Zona must have been swept off her feet because soon enough they were married. Um, and looking through my research, I did like I looked up photos of Zona. I right. looked up photos of Edward, and he was kind of smoking hot. <laughs> <laughs> And I feel no. like you're... <laughs> no, uh, that was so loud. <laughs> I feel like you're going to be learning... You're going to learn some stuff about me today. And that's the first thing, and it's bad. But uh, he was smoking hot. He had dark hair. It's kind of like... Kind of like in his face a little bit, slicked back. Uh, these big dark eyes, big dark eyebrows, and this jawline. So, like, 10 out of 10... Not complaining until you, you hear about his personality. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Um, Zona's mother, to whom she was very close, uh, Mary Heaster, however, was not impressed with uh, the hot new boyfriend. Mary hated Edward literally from the moment she met him and never approved of his marrying her daughter. While the reasons of her hatred were not exactly clear, she didn't know quite how much she didn't know about the man who was about to marry her daughter. Right. Um, <laughs> I made a list of the things she did not know. <laughs> I wrote them down because they're all red flags. Uh, firstly, he did not give give either of the women his like given name. Uh, he was going by Edward Shue, but uh, the name he was born with was Erasmus Stribling Trout Shoe, which is How another kind of a name. Is that? <laughs> it's another goofy. That's name, man. Trout shoe. Trout. Trouts. Trouts don't have shoes. No. They don't oh. wear them. <laughs> Can you make it's a shoe out of trouts? You probably could. Have you seen those? Have you ever seen like on the weird gifts lists on BuzzFeed? That's another yes. thing. I'm dating myself here. Um, <laughs> where like they give you the lists of like the gifts to get gifts. your weird relatives. Yeah. And one of them is the slippers that look like fish. 
Okay. It's the trout shoe. Tell you what, don't get your relative slippers that look like sh- fish. Don't get them a trout shoe. Get them a Ghost Encounters podcast shirt. Bringing it back yes. to the merch, you guys. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so anyway, uh, in addition to having an alias, uh, Edward had spent two years in jail for stealing a horse. That was uh, apparently a serious nice. thing back in the day. Oh, like, yeah. You would but really get like, into trouble for well, stealing Well, imagine like that, that's like stealing a car. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's their a means of travel. Pretty fucking big deal. Like, some people got hanged for that. Yeah. yeah. Or hung, whatever way you say it. I feel like hanged works. Um, I don't know. Uh, but he spent two years in jail for stealing that horse. And, uh, like, this is the worst part. Um, because the other two things in and of themselves are not necessarily bad. Um, but he had two previous marriages. Uh, and his first wife had divorced him for, like, severe domestic abuse. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> ding, ding, red flag. And his second wife unfortunately passed away after he, quote, unquote, accidentally dropped a brick on her head while repairing the roof. Accidentally. Accidentally dropped Air a brick. quotes. Accidentally dropped the brick. <laughs> yeah. It accidentally bashed her head in six times. Oh, yeah, <laughs> my man. God. Like, uh, mm, I don't know about that. I don't know about that one. Um, These are good red flags. <laughs> if by good you mean bad, then well, absolutely. I mean, like, <laughs> yes, they yes. are red flags. <laughs> uh, but despite all these things, maybe she didn't know out of fairness Probably to Zona. Not. Or maybe she didn't care. But either way, uh, Zona and Edward eloped. Uh, there are a handful of photos of Zona as well. Um and in them, she's wearing this dark dress, which the internet assures me is burgundy, right. uh, but it just looks black because the photos are black and white. Right, um, from all the way back then. But she's she's wearing this dark, high collared dress with uh, like lace a lace band around mm-hmm. the neck and little stripes. It's very very pretty. Um, and the the dress will be important later. Uh, so Zona moves in with her new husband after the marriage. We don't know what happened to Zona over the next three months. However, uh, after this very, very short honeymoon phase uh, on January 23rd, 1897, Zona was found dead in her home. Uh, A neighbor boy who ran errands for Zona and Edward found Zona sprawled at the bottom of a staircase, stone cold dead. Ooh, so first one was an accidental brick. Now this one was an accidental stair falling, I'm assuming. I guess. Um, I guess, technically, I guess the first one was domestic abuse, but she escaped. And oh, the, yeah. So the second one... Well, the first murder, I Yeah, think. okay. So yeah. Uh, the first one, she got away. The second one was a murder. And the third one is, uh, suspicious falling down the stairs. Yeah. Um, literally from the moment of her already slightly suspicious death, uh, Edward started acting suspicious. Like... Dude had no poker face. <laughs> he <laughs> he was the first. He was the person who sent the boy to their home to check if Zona needed anything, uh, and then so he like. It's it's one of those things where they always say like, oh, you know, the person who found the body could be you know the person who killed the person. Uh-huh. You know, like the you're you're the last right. person to see them alive. You're the first person to see them dead. Suspicious. Uh, he kind of tried to subvert this by sending somebody, but like, bud, we know you sent that kid. We're on to you. Right. Suspicious. Secondly, when the doctor was trying to resuscitate Zona at the scene of her death, uh, Edward made a big deal out of 
asking the doctor not to examine her body any further, which is severely suspicious. Uh, And thirdly, uh, Edward not only didn't want her examined at all, but he insisted upon being the one to dress her when she was placed in her casket. And on her, he put her high-collared burgundy wedding dress and a veil that he folded around her head in, like, this really uh, intense way, and he, like, tied it in a big bow around her chin. So it's kind of, like, obscuring the head and or neck area. Yeah, right. covering something up. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, he's, he's kind of over-gilding it here, you know what I mean? Uh, one source also mentions that he insisted upon tying her favorite scarf around her neck. Oh my god, he's really covering up there. <laughs> right? Like, bud, who has a favorite scarf? I don't, maybe that's just a me thing, but either way, suspicious. It's like it's like a Monty Python sketch, man. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, several witnesses, however, and okay, so that might be, um, that may or may not actually be a fact. It might just be so cartoonish that somebody made it up. However, there are witnesses who noticed that Zona's head wasn't sitting quite right on her shoulders and it looked kind of loose and would kind of flop from side to side if she was moved around or if somebody wasn't holding her head. Yeah, that shit was broken. (laughs) Yeah, like neck obviously broken. Uh, To combat this, Edward placed two bolsters on either side of her head, uh, ostensibly to keep it in place, but he said this was to ease her rest. Ugh. It's like, but uh, like a pillow would ease her rest, yeah. but you're really, you're really overdoing it. He's man. a walking yeah. ick. Like, yeah. he's literally <laughs> Seriously. He's the walking red flag. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Yeah, dude. Um, he also demanded that Zona be buried the next day, which I think is weird because it's January and I think the ground would be hard, especially in like the 1890s. Yeah. And I, I don't know what they do now to bury people, but I feel like... Well, we have equipment and tools, and back then they just had shovels. Yeah, a shovel, <laughs> maybe some horses to help with yeah. things. I don't know. Oh my but God. This I mean, guy there's is there's ridiculous. cases of places up north where it gets so cold that you can't bury anyone during the winter. Yeah, you really have to let the bodies chill it, chill like literally, <laughs> <laughs> literally chill. Yeah, you ha- you you put them in a basement, you build them a cairn, but it's yeah, it's tough. Oh, at at Zona's funeral, Edward also insisted. Uh, that he sit by her head at the top of her casket. He <laughs> he doesn't want anybody to know what's going on with her head. He's he, nothing to see here, there's guys. Three different things wrapped around her neck. There's a bunch of things wrapped around her head. It's like, geez, man, come on. Yeah, now you're sitting like, next to also, it. Also, I'm not leaving. Um, but despite all of this, like really obvious weirdness, and the fact that Zona was found dead at the foot of the stairs, her cause of death was listed as childbirth. What? Which like. That's ridiculous. What does that even mean? I, dude, I don't know. I don't know what the doctor's fucking smoking. People with that saw man. her head bobbing around, not <laughs> attached to like her fucking spinal cord, and the cause you're... of death. Ch- what does that even mean? Childbirth. <laughs> the, they, she didn't give birth. Didn't you know that when you have a child, your head falls off? Yeah, like, like did they not know? <laughs> Obviously, guys. <laughs> she I pushed mean... a kid out and lost her fucking neck. Yeah. Oh it's my god. It's just what happens. It's, it's science. <laughs> Uh, but that's, it's a kind kind of a slap in the face. Well, yeah. Absolutely, it's just, like, yeah. Ridiculous. Things were majorly weird around Zona's death. Yeah. But 
she was buried, she was laid in her grave, and her family decided that, you know, this was tragic, but it was time to put Zona to rest. However, within a month of the burial, uh, Mary Heaster, Zona's mother, was telling the neighbors that uh, for the last four nights in a row, she had been, Mary had been visited by the spirit of Zona. Oh, wow. Her daughter, yeah. Uh, Mary had awakened in the middle of the night to see the translucent figure of Zona at her bedside. uh, And Zona told her in no uncertain terms that her death had not been an accident. Learning that Zona had not cooked any meat for his dinner, Edward flew into a rage and strangled Zona to death, snapping her neck loose at the first joint. What well, sounds about right. Yeah. My uh, God. Heads all wobbling all over the place. like, And then he stuck her at the bottom of the stairs so it looked like an accident. Um, when neighbors immediately believed Mary Heaster. Yeah. Um, they knew Which is her surprising, as... because I feel like back in that time frame, they could have possibly thought, like, hey, you were seen by a ghost. A cult. Spirits. Yeah, witchcraft. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, a, you know, I just... It could have gone any type of yeah, way. Yeah, like, she's lucky, honestly, that it yeah. didn't yeah. go the way that I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, but the neighbors believed her. They knew her. They knew she was sensible. And uh, neighbors and family members urged her to take this to the courts, get the case reopened. Those are good neighbors. Yeah. Right? Some people get shitty-ass neighbors like those me. Those are good neighbors. But those neighbors are fucking badass. Yeah, it's doing the right thing. They really, they just gave a shit, man. <laughs> uh, so Mary, uh, she brings this this story to the Greenbrier County prosecuting attorney, uh, John A. Preston, and he didn't dismiss her either. Um, instead, he heard her out, he gave her a chance, and instead of calling her crazy, he asked for the names of people who might have more information. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. It, that is pretty bad. Kudos to him, too. Right? Yeah, for real. <laughs> like, it's just the perfect storm of people listening to each other to get some shit done. So Zona's mother gave him the information of the doctor who had attended the scene of Zona's death. Yeah. Um, and he started talking about how, like, you know, Edward was acting kind of weird. Uh, he had prevented, her husband had prevented the autopsy and, uh, the... So an autopsy was never done? Yes. Oh, oh yeah. Wow. He, uh, Edward, when he said, like, oh, I don't want anybody else to touch the body, uh, he, they didn't, Basically, they didn't they have an like, autopsy. Okay, they were like, oh, yeah, this, yeah okay. this is fine. This is totally fine. Um, so Zona's body was exhumed, uh, the, the prosecuting attorney, um, he ordered her body be exhumed mm-hmm. and uh, autopsied immediately. They just went through with it. Yeah. Um, the autopsy revealed uh, bruises around Zona's neck in the shape of fingers. Of and okay. she had been strangled to death so violently that her windpipe had been crushed and her spine God. severed. Yeah, it's brutal. It's a brutal way to go. Um, and, and her spine had been severed at the first vertebra, exactly as Mary had claimed that the ghost had claimed. Wow. wow. That takes some violent strength to do all that. To literally snap a neck with your bare hands. Yeah. That's like... I mean, he has blacksmith hands, mad, but still. He was mad, mad, mad. Like, he yeah. was super mad over not having fucking meat. Disgusting. Make your own shit. Exactly. Yeah, Get, that is together. awful. You're a grown-ass man. You are strong enough to crush a windpipe with your hands, but you're not strong enough... To make a meal. Yeah, to cook yourself a fucking roast. Yeah, get out of here, man. You're nothing. Welcome to the late 1800s. <laughs> but I'm right glad now. her spirit went to her mother and said, hey, like, 
This yeah. was not an accident. She knew what she was about. She yeah. knew that she had been had and lied to and treated extremely poorly. Yeah. <laughs> to, to you know, for an understatement. Uh, for his part, Edward loudly opposed the exhumation. Of course. Of course he did. Uh, he asserted that even if he was arrested, they would, quote unquote, not be able to prove I did it. But... You just well, you just did admitted it. you, you just, did it. Right there. That's literally almost a confession, right there. Yeah, dude. Also, everybody saw you acting fucking weird at her funeral, at like with her body. You've been weird for days, bro. Um, so that didn't work. Um, they immediately took him into custody, and he was arrested. He was charged, and he was taken to jail. Uh, he was then tried for the murder of his wife, Zona Heaster Shoe. Um, and the trial was, like, sensational. It was a wild trial. Oh, sure. Because, like, everybody in the community already knew that about, you know, Mary and they knew about the ghost of Zona. They had all heard the story. And I'm sure, like, knowing how that would sound and knowing how that would sound in court, the prosecution never brought it up. Um, they never mentioned Zona's ghost. Oh, okay. Uh, however, Edward... Um, However, Edward's lawyer really intensely cross-examined cross Mary about it. Um, he gave her a really hard time on stand, but she never once wavered from her story. Yeah. And she told the exact same story every time. Even if somebody didn't believe her, you couldn't deny that she had a very consistent story. Yeah. Um, despite his quote-unquote intense badgering. <laughs> so he, he, he gave her a hard time. He really wasn't very nice about it. Um, and because the defense had brought up the ghost, the judge couldn't tell the jury to throw it out and they already knew about it anyway. Yeah. Um, and as a matter of fact, they also seemed to believe it. Um, so only after an hour and 10 minutes of deliberation, the jury found Edward guilty. <laughs> <laughs> that was a short trial. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a very short deliberation anyway. Like that can take days and days. Yeah. Um, However, the jury did make it clear that they based the decision on circumstantial evidence and on Edward's very suspicious behavior, behavior yeah. um, not necessarily upon the testimony of the ghost. Right, right. So, like, we know about it. We know that happened. However, look at this fucking guy. He is so guilty. Uh, Edward was sentenced to life in prison, and he served three years before dying of the flu. Uh, after which no family came to to claim his body. <laughs> Who would? Nobody. He's a terrible person. Um, yeah, he sucked. Uh, while he was in jail, Edward admitted like this weird fantasy of being married to seven women. Yeah. Some places it's like it's like an economic thing, but I feel like he just wanted to kill a bunch of ladies. Yeah. He's probably like a sociopath and he probably he would have been would a serial, have been killer. serial killer. Yeah. 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 I wrote that down somewhere in here because I think, yeah, here we go. Okay. Okay. So there was a, they called her an amateur historian, but I think that's fucking rude. So I'm calling her a history hobbyist. Uh, her name is Katie Letcher, Katie Letcher Lyle. Um, she posits that there never really was any ghost but Mary concocted the story in order to rally the community and reopen the case of her daughter's brutal death. Um, and ghost or no ghost, Mary was a hero who not only procured justice for her daughter, but saved 
the lives of potentially four or more other women yeah. from this man who could have easily been a serial killer. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. 100%. That's definitely good for you, believable. Mary. Yeah. yeah. Mary and Zona, you did it. That's a good uh, mom. <laughs> right? And for real. That's, yeah. She deserves a fucking award. Yeah. Showing up for her daughter. Especially being a woman in that time frame, yeah. too, and speaking out and everything like that. Like, yeah. People were probably like... It's not easy. Yeah, like, stop. Don't talk, woman. And now, yeah. like, she's just So I'm just glad like, the community was them. like... Had her back. Yeah, her exactly. Side. That was really Every, great. Yeah, everybody like, really, really rallied it's, for it. It's pretty crazy. Like, I, I can't even believe that everything went as nicely as it did for Mary. Yeah. To be honest, <laughs> I'm absolutely <laughs> The stars aligned, nobody else died, and nobody got burned at the stake. Which yeah, is, like, really super, all you can ask Super for. happy about that. <laughs> um, Zona and Mary's legacy lives on, uh, not only in the historical plaque in West Virginia that tells their story. Oh, that's awesome. Right? There's like a little, you know, the little blue plaque that they have. Yeah. Is it that? Site. We'll visit Mothman. Yes. Definitely. Well, you know, we'll go pay our respects, leave some flowers or something. Hell yeah. Um, but there are also, based on the story, there are four plays, a novel, an episode of Drunk History, and this podcast. Aw, that's so nice. <laughs> and our podcast, add us to the list. <laughs> it's us too. Um, but yeah, that's the story of uh, Zona Shoe. That and was a good fucking story. Yeah. That was yeah, amazing. Really good story. The ghost who solved her own murder. So I have a similar story that, of course, deals with a pretty woman, a douchebag guy, <laughs> and a death. Oof. And a ghost visiting her mother. Yeah. This is this is what happens. This yeah. is the mother-daughter And this episode. also takes place in the 1800s. Oh. But this story begins with two lovers, William Corder and Maria Martin. It takes place in the quiet village of Polstead in Suffolk, England, in the year 1828. Maria Martin, born on July 24th, 1801, was the daughter of Thomas Martin a mole catcher from the village of Polstead in Suffolk. What they do with the moles. You gotta, ca- you gotta catch the moles. You can't destroy the crops. You probably like oh, make them into stuff. Moleskin is a thing. Or moleskins are things. Yeah. yeah. yeah okay. Probably my made... mind didn't go there. I was like, what are you doing with the moles? Like, <laughs> I didn't understand. You, you, you eat them. <laughs> yeah, I was like, is, there, is there a mole like stew? Well, I thought that was really interesting. He's a mole catcher. I've mole never heard catcher. that before. That's like a obsolete job title. Yeah. <laughs> Garden <laughs> hermit, mole catcher. Uh... But uh, at some point in time, uh, Maria's mother... Uh, I, I don't know if it dies or if Thomas and her get divorced or something, but we're going to hear about uh, Maria's stepmom uh, coming up. But Corder, the awful dude, born in 1803, was a son of a local farmer, and he had a reputation as something of a uh, fraudster and a ladies' man. He was known as Foxy at school because of his sly manner. Oh, it's already gross. Yep. Uh, Corder had fraudulently sold his father's pigs, although his father had settled the matter without involving the law, but Corder had not changed his behavior. He later obtained money through forgery and theft. Uh, After uh, Corder sold his father's pigs, he was sent to London in disgrace. Um, And then while in London, he also did a heist with another guy stealing more pigs. I don't know why he was obsessed <laughs> with stealing fucking pigs, but basically this guy was sleazy. Yeah. Right? Forgery, theft, stealing pigs, selling them. That's what this guy was all about. Mm. But then uh, he was recalled to Polstead following a series of family tragedies, including the deaths of his father and brothers, which left him to manage the family farm with his mother. 
Oh, jeez. He seems very qualified to do that. Yeah, right? With his forgery and pig theft. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't seem like it's going to go his way. No. And in 1826, at the age of 24, Maria began a relationship with a 22-year-old William Porter. That's oh, they're young. young. Yeah. Okay, I wasn't expecting them to be so young. All right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she was very known for her beauty, as like the other story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Maria had already had relationships with local men, uh, resulting in two children. One of these children, fathered by Quarter's older brother, Thomas, who oh, that's weird. sadly uh, died. And um, yeah, he, that little child passed away in infancy. So Maria already knew uh, William because she had a relationship with his older brother, Thomas. And she, they weren't married. Not married. Scandalous. And okay. so, yeah, so she game. already had kind of like red on her name because it was blasphemy to have a child oh, out yeah. of wedlock. Yes. And so already like town people like didn't really like her because of that. Like a, um, like a woman of ill repute. Yeah. Um, however, her other son uh, named Thomas Henry was still living uh, when she met Quarter. Uh, Thomas Henry's father, Peter Matthews, did not marry Maria, but provided financial support for the child. Okay. Well, so she had... Two babies with two different men, and she was very attractive. Was she a little slutty? I don't know, but she didn't deserve what's about to come. I'm not. Yeah, yeah I'm not here to shame a girl for yeah. just doing what she got to do. Quarter's relationship with Maria was complicated. As I said, she had already been burdened uh, by societal judgment for having children out of wedlock, mm-hmm. um, and further entangled in scandal due to her relationship with Quarter, because everyone knew that he was sly and he was a scumbag. Yeah. And she was with his brother too. Yeah, I mean, in small towns they in kind England, of do, did that you know? Back yeah, in the day. Like, like I know that. Yeah, like, that's true. If you, you hear like, stories about like the brother died like, and then you decide to and then you date the brother. Yeah, like you know? old school, like Victorian times yeah. and stuff. Like if you if said person died, nine times out of ten the family's like, oh well, our other son is available. <laughs> <laughs> so right. like maybe we'll just, that's something that yeah. they were trying to do. We'll as just well. keep the like, farm in the family. Yeah. But Quarter wished to keep his relationship with uh, Maria a secret. Uh, but she gave birth to their child in 1827 at the age of 25, and apparently keen that she and Quarter should marry. She wanted to marry him. She's like, I'm not doing this again with another man. I have a child with you. We're getting married. Yeah. But the child eventually dies. Later oh. reports from people doing investigation and things like that, they claim that perhaps the child actually was murdered. Oh, okay. Yes. Like, if I can get rid of the kid, then I won't have to marry this woman. Correct, because he did not want to marry her. Oof. Obviously, he was a ladies' man. He was a player. He was sly. Yeah, so we already know that he does not want to marry her. Um, he said he still intended to marry her after the child's death, mm. um, but he secretly was hatching a sinister plan. Quarter mm. suggested that she meet him at the Red Barn, about a half mile from her cottage. Um, there, he proposed that they elope to Ipswich, and so here comes a sto- here comes the title of the story: the Red Barn Murder. Ding 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 ding. He claimed he had heard rumors that the parish officers were going to prosecute Maria for having bastard children. Um, so some time passes. He says they meet at this barn. He's like, "Hey, I still want to marry you, but they're going to be after you. They're going to arrest you for having bastard children. Um, we should elope to Ipswich." Okay. And she's like, kind of, she's kind of for it. 
right? Yeah. But days go by and she doesn't hear from him. She's like, what the hell's going on? Like, I thought we were going to elope. What's right? the plan, And baby? she's not telling her parents about this because it's eloping. Yeah. Right? But on Friday, May 18th, 1827, Quarter just appeared at the Barton Cottage and he told Maria that they had to leave right away. He had heard that they're gonna, they obtained a warrant for her arrest and that she should dress in men's clothing as to avert suspicion and he would carry her things to the Red Barn and that's where they'd continue on to Ipswich. I mean, it's kind of like believe, like he made it believable to get her out of there. Like, you yeah. know, he actually used his brain. You know, some people he did. would just be like, yo, let's go elope. And the girl's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, like at least like he was like, yo, you gotta do this. And she's just like, damn, I gotta get my shit. You know, like like made it seem like in like she had to hurry. Yeah. Right. Like, like exactly. Yeah. Like the like, urgency. So right. naturally in that state of mind, you're you're not thinking, oh shit, red flags all over the place. You're yeah. just like, oh my fucking God, yeah. I'm going to jail. I gotta get out of here. Right. You know? And the Red Barn was their meeting place. So he's like, dress in men's clothing, hide. We'll meet at the Red bar- Barn again. And I'll carry things the rest of the way to Ipswich. And she, so she does it. Yeah. Um, but he temporarily returned to the village, falsely claiming that he and Maria were married and living elsewhere. Corder wove a web of lies, and as Maria remained missing, suspicion in the village mounted. Mm. In his desperation, Corder fled to London, continuing to deceive Maria's family with letters claiming that they were living happily on the Isle of Wight. Uh, he gave excuses as to why she hadn't written herself, saying that she was not well, her letters must have been lost, or that she had injured her hand. Oh. So now here we have the douchebag giving false lies, yeah. like wild accusations. Oh, she hurt her hand. Uh, she, they must be lost in the mail, but mine are coming through. Yeah, you know, this reminds me kind of of, um, did we talk about the soap maker of Correggio? We did not. Uh, well, okay, then... I won't talk about it. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll do say, it later. We'll, we'll save that for later. another episode. Yeah. Um, but even uh, Maria's stepmom was like, why is she not writing? Like, she would write to us. She loves us. Like, this this isn't like her. And uh, meanwhile, Quarter's life in London took a new turn as he married another woman, Mary uh-huh. Moore, and helped her run her boarding house. Oh, you scumbag. But in 1828, just around a year anniversary of Maria going missing... Mrs. Martin was haunted by nightmarish visions. In her dream, she saw the ghost of her missing stepdaughter, Maria, pointing towards the red barn. And then she had more dreams. In another dream, she saw Maria pointing to a very specific spot in the barn. And her stepmom was so disturbed by this that Mrs. Martin persuaded her husband to investigate and dig at the spot in the red barn. And this was only like a half mile from their house. They knew what yeah. the red barn was. Yeah. And so the husband was like, all right. So he goes out to the yard. He gets a shovel before making his way over to the red barn. And they dug exactly where the apparition was pointing. There, in a ghastly discovery, he unearthed the decomposing remains of his daughter, Maria, concealed in a sack. Uh. Her identity was eerily confirmed by a missing tooth that she had her distinctive hair, and clothing. And uh, it was concluded that she had been shot and buried. Oh, wow. That's That's tragic. Yeah. Yeah. But so, Maria's spirit visited her mom literally like a year on the anniversary of her going missing. Mm. And like like slowly point like hey the barn hey like you this spot in the barn right here. <laughs> That's pretty you know, You guys, pay attention. That's yeah. intense. And yeah. now, 
Quarters past finally catches up with him when Officer James Lee of the London Police inquired about boarding his daughter at the boarding house and in the process gained access, surprising Quarter as he uh, entertained guests in the parlor. He, of yeah. course, like, he started asking him questions about Maria and, of course, Quarter was denying knowledge of both Maria and the crime. Bro, you had a kid together! But he's with this new woman. He's like, I don't know who that is. I don't know anything about this. So this officer is like, you know what? I'm searching the house. And he uncovered two pistols bought on the day of Maria's murder. Oh, shit. There was also a passport from the French ambassador that's also suggesting that Quarter was planning to flee his current wife to France. Um, Because, I guess, Quarter got wind that they unearthed Maria's body. Ooh. So it was literally like the next day he gets his passport to flee to France. But oh. who's to say that he wasn't gonna kill somebody else before yeah. leaving? Who like knows? He didn't know yeah. if that was how it was gonna turn out. Yeah. Gonna, gonna ice his wife and flee with her money. Now this trial was also a sensation. Uh, it was at Shire Hall in Suffolk. Uh, it was a sensation attracting massive public interest. Despite his pleas of innocence and the attempt to discredit witnesses, the evidence was overwhelming obviously. Mm. Maria's family testified and they actually painted a picture of this premeditated murder and they spoke about Maria's ghost visiting them in their dreams. Wow. Yeah. Like they testified on the stand. They, yeah. Like they didn't even try to cover it up. Like, no. And, wow. Like the stepmom was like, she visited me mm-hmm. in my dreams and she pointed where she was buried and we found her body. Wow. Um, Quarter's weak defense crumbled and he was found guilty, sentenced to a ghastly fate of hanging and dissection. Ooh, by like med students, they cut them up. Yes. Get them. I just wa- I just watched, oh my God, I just listened to a podcast today where that happened like apparently frequently that they would, if they were like hanged or whatever, they would Crazy. literally use them for students. Yeah. Because yeah. that was, uh, they were, criminals were the only people that they were allowed to dissect. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know that they did that. So when but I like listened, I'm like, oh my God. It goes a little further. Oh Jesus. After his execution, Quarter's corpse was subject to public dissection and bizarre scientific demonstrations including the use of electrical currents to animate his muscles oh jeez this macabre spectacle further fueled the victorian's era of fascination with death and the supernatural wow. and trying to animate bodies that uh, whole thing um, precursors to frankenstein yeah the red barn murder captivated victorian imagination it spawned plays peep shows and uh morbid fascination with relics from the case Quick yeah, question. Uh, yeah. Quick question. Is a peep show the same thing then? I don't think so. No, okay. we think a peep show as like it's naughty. Like sexy. I think it's more of like a um yeah, no, peep shows are not like the naughty things that we're thinking of now. They're like like short little like street plays okay. kind of thing. Okay. I dude, I had yeah. to ask because I'm gross. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> But the question goes, would there have been justice if the spirit of Maria Martin had not guided her stepmother? Yeah. Probably yeah. not. Yeah. Probably not. And she, I mean, I guess unless this was another kind of case where maybe uh, the parents could have intuited that something had happened to their daughter. They were already suspicious. Yeah. Like, because they knew, like, her daughter wouldn't have just up and ran and not say anything and not give letters. Like, they yeah. already, people dislike this guy. Yeah. Like, not just them were suspicious of him. The whole, the whole village, which is why he fled to London, because they're all like, dude, where is she? And also, just, we like, know you're a scumbag. He dips out, and he has yeah. a history of crime, theft, and like being sleazy. Yeah, theft of pigs, mistreating women. 
Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. But it's, it's crazy how the, these t- the two stories, yours and mine, kind of are... Yeah, uh, have very, super similar. Yeah, very a lot similar. of similarities, and, you know, especially in, in the same time era, mm-hmm. kind of, you know? A, man, Victorians were weird, so who yeah. knows? But <laughs> so many similarities, but yet on different countries, different continents. Yeah. Even. It's crazy. You know, the human experience is uh, yeah. truly universal. But uh, you can even look up pictures. There's pictures of the pistols that they found. Um Wild. It's kind of cool that they have like documentation of like things that happened so yeah. Like, yeah. far yeah. back. I think it's cool that the stepmother actually spoke about the spirit in the court case and they yeah. used that. Yeah. I'm proud of these women for like being like, yeah. this Sticking shit up. happened. Yeah. Like, you know, like, yeah. kudos to the mom stepping yeah. up and like, speaking out. And... You're, you're not going to do this to my daughter. You're not going to do this yeah. to my child. Your ass is going to jail. Yeah, for real. That's awesome. (laughs) Well, on that note about the scumbag douchebags killing their wives, uh, we're going to take a short break. And when we get back, Jordan has a fascinating story to share us about Spirits of Justice. I'm ready. This episode is brought to you by The Colony Meadery. If you haven't tried meat yet, it's alcohol made for money, it's all-natural, totally gluten-free, and delicious. Colony Meadery is one of the best meaderies in the world, and it's located in Pennsylvania's Lehigh Valley. Stop in and try a flight of meats, grab some bottles or cans to go, and experience some of the best booze in the world. They have flavors ranging from tart and quaffable lemon laws and Wu-Tang Cran, to sweet cinnamon vanilla series of tubes, and even sweet heat with their mango habanero. Learn more at colonymeadery.com. Speaking of mead, Ghost Encounters and Colony Meadery did a collab, and we came out with a caramel apple mead called Spooky to the Core. It's scary how delicious this mead is. Grab some today and haunt your taste buds. Ghost Encounters is sponsored by Phoenix Fire Media. Elevate your business with their digital marketing strategies, including their multi-award winning social media marketing, photography, and video production. Phoenix Fire Media, igniting success through creative excellence. Visit phoenixfiremedia.com. If you're enjoying the Ghost Encounters podcast, hit subscribe and give us five stars. To watch full episodes of the Ghost Encounters show, visit ghost-encounters.com. And don't forget, when you're on our website, click on the Spooky Shop for all your Ghost Encounters spooky swag. To stay up to date with Ghost Encounters, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Ghost Encounters PA. To send spooky fan stories, email ghostencounterstories at gmail.com or message us on social. Do you want ad-free episodes of Ghost Encounters Podcast, plus bonus episodes, extra content, and much more? Then you should head to Patreon and be a spooky VIP. Go to patreon.com forward slash Ghost Encounters Podcast and be haunted from all the benefits with the spooky VIP membership. And we are back, Jordan. Let's just get right into it and tell us about this crazy story that you've been telling me about for so long now. So this story is about Teresita Bassa, which I know that a lot of people probably have heard that name before, but this is the craziest story about basically a ghost solving their own murder, in my opinion. Can't wait. I'm ready. In the 1960s, Teresita moved um, to the United States from the Philippines, hoping to make a better life for herself. Uh, she studied music at a local college or university, I'm not sure exactly the names of them, but ended up becoming um, a respiratory therapist, 
working at Edgewater Hospital in Chicago. Nice. Um, Sometimes that's just what you got to do. Yeah. So she apparently... She really made a life for herself. That's Yeah. She did a lot of, like, schooling and stuff. Like, her parents, they were wealthy, so her parents were able to send her to, like, London to do some stuff for, yeah. um, like, music and everything like that. So she had, a, like, a big background. She wanted to become a musician. She wanted to, you know, make music. Blah, yeah. Blah, blah. She played yeah. the piano and everything like that. So eventually... They somehow got her to go to Chicago and yeah. everything, and we'll get to it. So, as we all know, probably, music wasn't bringing in um, the money that she needed to survive in Chicago, but she was still really passionate about music, so she was pursuing a master's degree. It also said she was pursuing a doctorate on wow. some sources. Good for um, her, man. She actually wanted to teach at the university after she graduated, which originally she wanted to become her own famous pianist but yeah she decided she really liked teaching kids and started giving free piano lessons to children in the neighborhood since she had this gorgeous piano in her apartment that was a gift from her parents that were still back in the philippines so they gifted her this piano like follow your dreams which is really really nice yeah she was also in a band called the five mahoganies plus one so (laughs) it's really funny like it's such a funny name but in reality it was five um, I think they were all Filipino and one white guy was the drummer. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really, That's really cute. funny. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and some would say that they performed for like large paying crowds. Um, Teresita was known as a very nice and humble woman. Everybody loved her that she, that worked with her and knew her. And oh, she had a fantastic reputation by everybody that knew her. Yeah. On February 21st, 1977, Ruth Loeb, I'm assuming is how you pronounce her last name, but her best friend, Ruth, phoned Teresita and they chatted for about 30 minutes. Ruth later would testify that Teresita was expecting a friend to come over, but she didn't have any details about who it was and why they were going to be there. An hour after Ruth last spoke to Teresita, the fire department was called to Teresita's apartment after the neighbor saw smoke coming from her door. Oh, shit. From her apartment, basically. Bad fucking news. Yeah, and apparently it was kind of like chaos because people were like, holy shit, I smell something. But, like, the fire alarms didn't go off yet. And they were, like, trying. They were, like, banging on everybody's doors. Yeah. Like, get out of here. Like, there's mm. clearly a fire somewhere. We don't know where the fuck it's coming from exactly in there. So we don't know how close it's going to get to us. And then the fire alarms went off and then everybody showed Jeez. up. So it was just, like, chaos for a minute. Ugh. So when the firefighters got there and they went into her apartment knowing that it was... The fire was coming from there. They were actually like kicking shit around, yeah, and like didn't because it was like so smoky and yeah. everything mm-hmm. was burned. Basically, it was like it wasn't a terrible fire. It stayed in that apartment, but it was enough for them to be like, okay, shit's fucking destroyed. Yeah, so they're kicking stuff around, and then they go to the back room and they they basically like see a mattress on the floor. So, Teresita was found under that mattress with a knife protruding from her chest. Oh my god. It said that the kitchen knife was fully embedded into her body all the way up to the wooden handle. Jeez. Oh, Teresita. Yeah. Investigators originally thought because of how they found her body in the bedroom that she was a victim of sexual assault because the body was staged in a way that like her legs were apart and like but her ankles were together so like her knees were up so it like looked was kind she naked? of Yeah. Because the clothing was next to the mattress. Yeah, I should have mentioned that. The the clothing was like on top and next to the mattress used to light the fire. Oh, Oh my God. Yeah. But the body was staged to look that way, basically. And the fire was there to get rid of the evidence. So no physical evidence could lead the police to the murder. 
And especially right. if, yeah. you know, more the whole, damage. The whole apartment was engulfed in flames, like, it yeah. didn't burn anything away. Yeah. yeah. So, and then, like, you know, if the firefighters come in, they're kicking shit around, they're spraying yeah. water around, it's, yeah. everything is just chaos. And, totally foobar. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, they, I think that they just originally thought that these people, like, nobody was in there. Yeah, no one's going to suspect was... that there's a female body with a yeah. knife in her chest. Exactly. So the house was, well, the apartment was a mess. Like, somebody was looking for something or potentially robbing her. They didn't really know because cabinets were opened and like drawers were like dumped and everything like Ooh. that. But the door to the apartment was not damaged. So they knew that she let the person inside. Right. The person mm -hmm. either knew Teresita or she didn't think of them as a threat when she let them in. Right. Or they like frantically looked around for a lighter and whatever else to yeah. start the fire. Yeah. So they interviewed people at the hospital that she worked at who overlapped with Teresita, um, as well as people that knew her in the apartment building. Okay. So they tried to really figure out who would have wanted to do this to Teresita. And for five months, the police had no leads and no idea who could possibly have wanted Teresita Bassa dead. It's, you know, it's kind of like, because this is a relatively modern case, it's kind of interesting to see, like, police work yeah being yeah done, you know because the last two cases didn't really have yeah police work until there was like an actual hot lead to go on yeah you know but they're looks like they're doing their due diligence here. yeah yeah the only lead they had was the phone call that she received the day she was murdered and the second one was the biggest one in my opinion was that they found a note they say that they found the note but then some people say that they found it in her diary whatever the case it said quote unquote buy tickets for as Hmm. But they had no idea who had those initials because everybody that they interviewed and everybody that they talked to didn't have the initials AS. Right. Mm. Mystery so, individual. Yeah, now this is when the story starts getting a little bit I think she missed the S. Interesting. Well, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Buying tickets for ass. <laughs> Douchebag. She was such a nice person. She was yeah. following her dreams. She was working hard. She was intelligent. Yeah. Oh, and another thing that when they did the autopsy, I forgot to mention, they found out that she was actually a virgin. Oh, so wow. it couldn't have been sexual assault. Huh. One of the other co-workers at Edgewater Hospital started to act a little bit strangely. I shouldn't say a little bit. She acted fucking weird. Um, her name was Remy Chuha. I think she had a longer name, but for purposes, I just shortened it to Remy. I'm it was like the most ridiculous name because they're all Filipino. Yeah. So I just, I can't pronounce it and do it justice. So we're going to use her name as Remy. Remy did not work the same shift as Teresita. Therefore, she didn't, she claimed she didn't know that much about her. Just kind of like they were acquaintances, would see each other in the hallway, nod at each other, whatever. Right. But then she started to use Teresita's locker at work and would sit in the same spot that Teresita would sit in a, in the cafeteria and started acting just like Teresita. That's like odd. humming piano tunes or something like that. They said Ew, in the one source it that I read. Sounds like an obsessed person. Yeah. yeah. So um, That's icky. Apparently, Teresita sat alone in the cafeteria. So like it really stood out to them when she started sitting in the exact same spot that yeah. Teresita preferred mm. to sit. Um, her colleagues were. Getting freaked out, naturally, I would oh, be too. Right. And tried to ask her, like, hey, what's what's your issue? Why are you being like Teresita? And Remy fucking lost it, claiming that she wasn't doing anything weird or acting a type of way. It caused her superior to get involved, somebody that was clearly her boss, and started kind of trying to do the same thing and ask, like, hey, like, 
what's going on? Like, you're kind of acting weird. Yeah. And she fucking flipped out on her superior as well. Needless to say, she got fired from the hospital. They let her go because of how she was acting. Yeah. When she returned home that day, her husband, I'm assuming it's Jose, but yeah. they also yeah. called him Joe Chuha, who yeah. was a surgeon at a different hospital, was there to comfort her and try to figure out what the hell was wrong with his wife because she was clearly in distress. Yeah. She didn't exactly tell him the full story, though. Nothing at all was said about Teresita Bassa until something else happened that same night. Mm. Remy suddenly stood up while they were talking and walked into the bedroom saying in a weird voice, just remember the voice, that she was going to lie down for a little while. Naturally, her husband followed her because of the sudden change in her emotions and how she was talking and how Uh she was kind of like rigid and stiff when she stood up too. So like it was almost as if she was like uncomfortable in her body. So he rounded the corner to the bedroom and found his wife laying in bed, staring straight up at the ceiling. Obviously, the poor guy was probably startled and asked her again what was wrong and tried to, like, use his, his, like, intelligence and, like, being a doctor and everything to try to, like, you know, relax. Everything's going to be fine. I know you had a bad day. I just want to try to figure out what's going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But the voice that responded to him wasn't his wife's voice, but someone he'd never heard before. Speaking in the native language of the Philippines, it's like called like... Tagalog. Yeah. yeah. I've never heard of it. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so surprised that it's you knew Tagalog. that. Tagalog. Yeah. yeah. So that's the language that this quote unquote voice was speaking. Oh my God. And um, that's so fucking amazing that Hannah knew. Uh, I, I have a, a friend who's Filipino. Yeah. So, oh, awesome. Cool. Yeah. And he and his wife both knew the language, but rarely used it. Like they didn't feel like they had to. Um, another thing that stood out to him was that the voice had a faint Spanish accent that he knew his wife never had or used. Um, the voice said, and I quote, doctor, I would like to ask for your help. The man who murdered me is still at large. Wow. Yeah. So Dr. Chuha naturally is like, what the fuck? Like, you know, what's going on? And he later claimed that his wife was in this trance. Like, it seemed like she was stuck in a trance. Right. And when he tried to get more information about her identity, he said, I was really surprised and scared when I asked her her name and she answered, quote, I am Teresita Bassa. But she told me nothing, nothing was to be scared of. She pleaded for me to help her solve her murder. And that was him. That was a direct quote from him. That's crazy. Yeah. 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 He had no idea who the heck Teresita Bassa was, though. That's the even crazier. Right. He's just like, what the fuck is going on? (sighs) Could you imagine? I would be like smacking somebody. Like, get this out. Like, I need to know what the fuck is going (laughs) on. Right. Yeah. Like, full-blown panic attack would be. So, do do they ever... Are you going to get to, like, why they... Why she picked Remy? Yeah. Okay. I'll let you get to that. Yeah. So like I said, naturally, he's like freaking out and everything. But he's in the back of his mind. He's like, who would listen to him and believe the situation that he was just in? Right. Who would listen to me, a doctor? Yeah. (laughs) But but no matter who you are, who would say, who would believe that, hey, the ghost of a dead woman is kind of like um, possessing my current wife in a way to tell me to help her to solve her murder. Yeah, like, that's like wild. bizarre. <laughs> that's yeah, wild. That's like I said, like he's shit. a high intelligence. He's a doctor. Yeah. He's a surgeon at a hospital. Like he's naturally like, yo, I could lose my job over this if yeah. I'm just like, you know, he knows how this looks. Yeah, yeah, like he can't make himself look crazy. I understand why he's kind of reserved in the yeah. situation. Yeah. He yeah. later explained that Boss's ghost pointed the finger at somebody by the name of Alan Showery. ASS. I mean, AS. <laughs> yes, AS. We got butt jokes. Welcome to the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> 
It's like our fourth <laughs> butt joke. <laughs> so Alan was also a respiratory therapist who was a co-worker of Teresita's. And basically the voice told him how she was murdered. In very specific details, by the way. Right. Mm. These details were that the killer had arrived at her apartment around 8 p.m. on February 21st and that she had let him in because he was a friend, but then stabbed her and killed her once he was inside. Damn. After all of this information was given to Dr. Chua, his wife, Remy, sat up really quickly in bed like starling. Uh-huh. Obviously, I would be startled too. Um, clearly confused and worried about what the hell had just happened since she didn't remember anything after being in the living room speaking to her husband. Right. Uh, so she completely lost track yeah. of everything after the point where she stood up. It wasn't up. her. Yeah. 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 Like she was possessed. And it's cool because they like re- like they refer to it as visions, but like we would say possessed. Right. Mm-hmm. Or like... I guess you could say channeling. That's channeling. Well. Yeah. That's, that's a good one. Yeah, I, I like that better than yeah. possessed because possessed sounds kind of evil and violent. Yeah. But channeling, I like that a lot better. Yeah. I like possessed because it sounds evil. <laughs> <laughs> so he tried to explain everything to her, and Remy explained that Teresita, because basically he was like, "Who the fuck is Teresita? Like, you right. gotta tell yeah. me what right. the hell's going on." And she she finally came clean and was like, "Teresita worked at the hospital with me," um, and what I said like. They barely knew each other. While she was talking to her husband, she had like an epiphany and remembered something that had happened to her recently while she was at work. Remy said that two weeks earlier, she went to the break room to relax. um, And like a couple like minutes or something after she got in there, she was resting her eyes, maybe trying to take a quick nap. And she felt like somebody was in the room with her. So she thought one of her coworkers snuck in and she just didn't notice because she was like groggy. And when she opened her eyes, she came face to face with none other than the recently murdered Teresita Bassa. Wow. Wow. Like any normal fucking person, just like me, (laughs) after seeing a ghost, she jumped up and ran and got the hell out of there. Yeah. And like, she turned around and tried to see like if the person was following her, like if she was going crazy and everything was normal. Right. We're just walking by her, like, why the fuck are you running? You know? So... At the time, Remy just figured it was a dream, and her husband also agreed, like, hey, it was probably a dream, no big deal. You know, you were tired from a crazy work day. But to Remy, it also felt too real. But she kept to herself and didn't tell anybody that she saw the ghost of Teresita until this happened. So Dr. Chuha was very shocked by everything and also asked his wife, do you know who Alan Showery is? And Remy said, Of course I do, explaining that he worked at the hospital and they knew that he was, like, a friend of Teresita Bassa's. Right. They both decided that they couldn't go to the police since, like we said before, they would make themselves look crazy and Mm, suspicious because Dr. Chua didn't want to be involved. He thought, hey, if we come forward, maybe they're going to say that we did it. And that we killed her. And they'll try to flip the script the script on them. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, we got to keep our mouth shut about this. Yeah. We can't say anything. As previously discussed, that happens. Yeah. <laughs> so they continued on with their lives, thinking that this was all behind them. And a couple of days later, while Remy was on the phone, she just dropped the phone. And it was hanging there by its cord. <laughs> and she stood up in that stiff, awkward placement that we described before. Uh-huh. And went into another trance. And speaking in the same voice as before, she insisted that Dr. Chuha needed to help her because she couldn't move on. Begging him to go to the police, 
She wanted him to give them the information that she was telling them, swearing that he wouldn't get in trouble and to not be afraid and that Teresita would protect him and like his family, which is cool of her to say. Yeah, nice, in reality, how does, how does he know? How's... Yeah, but in reality, yeah. that's not enough for him yeah. to go. So just like before, Remy snapped out of the trance and they still wouldn't go to the police due to lack of evidence. So a few days later, Remy fell into another trance and Dr. Chuha demanded, like, I mean, like, this guy's fed up. He is like, you have to tell me how to confirm that this guy killed you. Like, yeah. you got to give me some evidence. She explained that after the killer knocked her unconscious and stabbed her, he had stolen some of her jewelry that she received from her mother. Fucking rude. One was a jade necklace and another one was a pearl ring. The voice gave very specific details about both pieces of the jewelry. But what was crazy was that she gave names and phone numbers of the family that would be able to positively Damn. identify them. Yeah. How the fuck do you deny that one? Exactly. Yeah, so really now Remy and him like were like, we got to do something. Like, we can't continue on this way. If you're going to keep getting possessed, she's just going to keep bothering us. Let's just give the information to the police. Enough is enough. I would probably be in the same yeah. I'm I'm already scared. Next time I'm going to have a heart attack. <laughs> but what was crazy is that they chose not to say that they got this information from a ghost of somebody that was murdered. They said Remy had received a phone call from a former co-worker at the hospital and used the name that the voice gave them, Alan Showery. So instead of saying this ghost came, they right. said, we got a call. This, this guy said, hey, you're next type shit right and wow. it sounded like alan so they kind that of was, like lie that, well, but but they did it in a way that they didn't feel like it was lying right you know mm -hmm. so they didn't send this information to the investigators of teresita's case they sent it to their local police as a tip of course so basically said like hey you should look into this guy alan chowry using this tip from the chuas the police looked into this relating to the murder of Teresita Basso. So the local police station was like, okay, we know these guys are looking into this. We're going to send it to them. Yeah, Cause good. Because it's got to be something involved in Teresita's right. murder. <clears throat> when the detectives on the case heard the name of the suspect, um, they immediately connected his name with the initials on the note that they had found. Yeah. When the detectives met with the Chuas, they didn't elaborate much on the tip that they called in. Um, they noticed that... Dr. Chua was acting very weird, like fiddling with his hands, shifting in his seat, just like kind of wanted them to get out of there as quick as they came in. Obviously nervous. But these people are detectives. Like they know when you're not telling them the full story. They know when you're <laughs> bullshitting them. So he kind of questioned him more. And Dr. Chua turned and said, do you believe in the occult? Ooh. Do you believe in like exorcisms yeah. and possession and... Everything with like spirits. That's like a bit for the movie trailer, yeah. right? Yeah. You know? Just And the detective kind of said, like, I always try to keep an open mind just in the case of solving this. Like, I'm gonna keep an open mind as to what you're asking me because if it could solve a murder, sure. I yeah, believe in right. it. For it's now. like I know you're I know you're about to come out with some real weird shit. So let's yeah. just come on, give me it, hit me with it. Yeah. And with that, Dr. Chua told the detective literally everything. And I mean everything, down to, like, Teresita and the jewelry and phone numbers, everything. Remy gave all the info she had about Alan Showery, and the detective figured out that he was not interviewed 
during the initial part of the investigation since his shift did not align with Teresita's. Oh. That's only reason? Yeah. Here we go. That they didn't think that him and Teresita knew each other, basically because they didn't work together. But they're both But the they're in the same, same department. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, like... So... The detectives were shocked by this information and chose to, um, he chose to write a memo to his commanding officer instead of a formal police report because he knew that it would probably sound a little crazy yeah. if he said it the way that the Chua's were telling him. Yeah. So he kind of just said, hey, we got a tip. We need to check into this. Can I have a group? Can you agree that I have to go check into this? After the interview with the Chua's, they were ruled to not be suspects in the murder because they had a rock solid alibi. Right. So then they went to look into Alan Showery, who had a long list of arrests, such as theft, burglary, and rape. But he was never convicted of them. He was only arrested. Bruh. He has this background <laughs> and a hospital hires him? Exactly. Yeah, like, dude. I don't understand how he got hired. And, I mean, I guess that's like, oh, you don't have, maybe you don't have to, like, disclose if you were arrested. If you're, I guess if you were convicted. never convicted... You don't have to disclose like, it. Like, maybe if you're... I just feel like nowadays, if but, they see you, like, had a roach in your But car, even if like, you were a suspect, <laughs> not wouldn't that come up in background yeah. checks? Yeah. they weren't really heavy on background checks back yeah, then. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it was know. the 70s. You're right. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. Who how knows what they... <laughs> how desperate are we for respiratory therapists? Yeah. yeah. So they concocted new interviews with the co-workers um, of people that knew Teresita, and they found out that Alan and Teresita were actually friends, and on the night of the murder he was going to her apartment to fix a broken TV for her. They don't find, no one mentions this, that they knew someone was going to her apartment on the day of the murder? Exactly. Yeah, man. What? Exactly. Terrible it's, co-worker. Yeah. Somebody's really dropping the But ball. I think that now when they did these new, like, interviews and they were like, hey, do you know who this guy is? They're finally like, oh, shit. Like, yeah, like, oh, I forgot he was supposed him. to go. Yeah, he was supposed to go over there. On August 11th, 1977, almost six months after Teresita Bassa's murder, the detectives went to Alan's apartment that he shared with his pregnant girlfriend. I think oh her name was Yanka God. or something. She was like a German immigrant or something. Mm. Um, but we'll just say she's the girlfriend. And asked Alan to come to the police station for an interview. So Alan went willingly, you know, yep. didn't really put up. A, well, they didn't like say like, hey, you're fucking arrested. They were just kind of like, hey, we got information on this case. He's Could been, you just come down? He's been uh, suspected numerous times. So he's used to this. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. yeah like I'll, I'll get out of I'll it. I'll get away with it this Nothing's time again. Nothing's going to stick to me. I'm smart. So while they were in the car and on the way to the station, um, he insisted that he didn't have anything to do with it. And the last time he saw her was six months before her death. And that she was a wonderful person and blah, 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 blah. It was like, right. he was just trying to like literally be a brown noser. Just yeah. say like, yeah, she was great. Like, I, like you know, we had great friends. We used to ride the bus together, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But then the investigators kind of pulled a chuha. Like they, they followed in their footsteps and lied and said that they found mm. fingerprints at the apartment. Mm. Then he changed his story saying that he went there to fix a TV, but left because he didn't have the stuff to fix the TV, like the right tools, and he left at 6.30 p.m. And we know the murder took place at 8, eight o'clock. Right. Oh, yeah, in that two-hour window, some other rando came in and... Yeah, exactly. Indeed. So the police went back to the apartment. He was still down, you know, they were still interviewing him, whatever. Yeah. They went back to Alan's apartment and talked to his girlfriend, to see if she could confirm his alibi, because apparently this could have been a rock solid alibi for Alan. But without her needing to say anything, the police noticed kind of like 
specific jewelry that she was wearing. So the Chuhas had described to them, as we know, the jade necklace yeah. and the pearl, very detailed like pearl and gold cocktail ring. Oh yeah, she had that ring on. Oh, she had the pearl awful. ring on her finger. That's so gross. Yeah. She probably like didn't even know. So they, without trying to be so like noticeable, they were like, hey, like where'd you get the ring? It's cool. <laughs> and she explained that she received it from Alan as a late Christmas present mm. in late February, along with some other jewelry, which was all right around the same time of Teresita Boss's murder. Right. Bum, bum, bum. He wasn't even a good liar. He could have been like, oh, Valentine's Day, baby. Yeah. I just love you. Well, I know in some other like sources, they said like, he said, like Alan said, oh, I had to go fix a TV at my house. And then they went and asked Yanka about it, his girlfriend. And she was like, he didn't fix no TV. Like, <laughs> the fuck is he talking about? Yeah. So like, I, regardless. He's mixed up a story. Yeah, yeah. the stories yeah. just all don't fucking align. It's a mess. Detectives had her bring all of the jewelry down to the station, even if it was hers, just all of the jewelry that she owned had to come down to the station. Yeah. And using the list of the names and phone numbers that the Chuhas had given them, they made some phone calls to have somebody come and peek at this jewelry. Damn. Wow. Those relatives, I'm pretty sure like some of her cousins were the relatives, identified the pearl ring and the jade necklace and said that they had belonged to Teresita's mother that she had received as a gift from her parents. So like her dad bought this jade um, pendant in France and gave it to Teresita's mom and then uh -huh. Teresita gave the jewelry to, right. to her before she was leaving because they realized her life isn't in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. So I want a piece of me with my daughter while she lives in America. So yeah, so they basically said, this bitch has my dead relatives jewelry. Yeah. How the hell did she get it, you know? Suspicious. <clears throat> and as we know, the story goes, Alan Showery tried to deny everything, but then wrote a 13-page signed confession the next day. Oh, shit. Damn. 13 page? Yeah. <laughs> Very detailed, apparently. With everything that the detectives had, this is the story of what happened to Teresita the night of her murder. Alan Showery went to fix the TV, and like the, the voice said, he left to get more tools, and on the walk home, he realized that like, I'm behind on my bills. Christmas is coming up. Or like, I have to pay off Christmas stuff. You know what I mean? Because this happened, in, her murder happened in February. So yeah. he has to like pay back debts. So he's like thinking about his money, getting frustrated. And um, he came up with this elaborate story that Teresita is from a wealthy family in the Philippines. There must be hundreds of dollars in her apartment. Oh my God. So he basically concocted this story in his mind that right. she was a fucking millionaire. I'm going to steal all her money. I'm going to go back and rob her because she's so comfortable around me. I can get back in. Gross. So he, thinking up his fancy little story in his mind, he went back to his house waited for his girlfriend to go shopping or just leave the house in general, and yeah. he went right back to Teresita's. When Teresita answered the door, she was excited that he came back because, oh, he has tools with him, he can fix his TV. But when she turned around to close the door, Alan lunged at her, putting her into this like strong chokehold, mm. dragging her back into the bedroom. So because he had her in this chokehold, naturally she lost consciousness. Yeah. And he laid her on the floor, 
and fixed the scene to make it look like sexual assault. So he like took her clothes off, laid her in this position and whatever. And then he went to the kitchen because she was just unconscious. Like he had to make sure that she was dead. Mm. He felt like she had to be murdered. And he went into the kitchen and laying on a cutting board with some vegetables next to it, he grabbed the kitchen knife. So she was cooking herself dinner. Yeah. He grabbed the kitchen knife and stabbed it right into her chest. Once he knew that she was dead, he started to look for this cash that he made up, like I said before. It's yeah. like, oh my gosh, I need all this money. And he didn't find shit other than $30. Uh-huh. And then, knowing he needed to something, maybe he could pawn some jewelry, he stole jewelry that he saw laying next to her bedside table. And he didn't even pawn it, he just gave it to his girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like... She said it was a late Christmas present, so it sounded like he didn't get his girlfriend shit. His yeah. pregnant girlfriend yeah. shit. Yeah. And he was probably I knocked you up, but I'm not going to get you a in Christmas debt. present. And so he's like, oh, I'll give her this. And it's really nice. So, so what a piece of shit. Yeah. And Teresita died for $30. Yep. And some jewelry. And yeah. trusting people, which yeah. is the shittiest, is that she trusted this person. He was supposed to be there to help her. Yeah. yeah. Just like normal person. So after that, he pulled the mattress off of the bed and put it over her body and using her own clothing, started all of it on fire. Then let himself out of the apartment, walked out into the, you know, February night air and walked home. He disgustingly tried to explain to the investigators that she didn't feel any pain of the knife uh, because she was unconscious before I stabbed her. Doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. Shit, man, you took so her he life. he tried to, like, justify things and he tried to, like... Make it downplay it, basically. You try to make it seem like it wasn't that big of a deal. Bruh. Yeah, he's fucking insane. So when they went to trial, they ruled a mistrial since the jury of eight men and four women couldn't come to a ruling of guilty or not guilty. The yeah, trial. He had a signed confession. Exactly. There was evidence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's disappointing. But the trial was called The Voice from the Grave Trial. And it blew up in the media. Like we said, with all these other right. spirits mm-hmm. just bring the crazy out of people. I love it. <laughs> but dude, all the crazy shit happened in the 70s. How were our parents like not terrified? Exactly. <laughs> the 70s is wild. Oh my God. This is supposed to be the hippie movement, isn't it? Or is that the 60s? No, it's the murder movement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the crazies. All the like, crazies are Serial around. killers and shit. From people Manson to stabbing. Dahmer to this. Yeah. Like, Yeah, the defense team called everything that the detectives received from the Chua's into question and, like, said... Of course. Like, we can't listen to these people. Like, you know, and the prosecution argued that the source of the information didn't matter, just that everything was accurate. And painted a picture of how this woman was murdered. Annoyingly, Alan recanted his oral and written confession. But they had all that evidence now to say he's this killer. Like, he killed Teresita Bassa. So they tried to rip Remy apart on the stand and make her out to be unreliable and nuts. But uh, three weeks later after the mistrial and almost two years to the day of the murder of Teresita Bassa, Alan Showery surprised everyone yet again saying that he was guilty in the murder. So he changed his his like reading. He was like, what? okay, yeah. I'm not, first I'm not guilty. First I'm not guilty. Then now. I'm, here's a 13 page confession. I'm guilty. I signed it. Then I'm, not, I'm guilty. not guilty. And now I'm guilty again. Then after the mistrial, he said, okay, I'm guilty of the murder. And then he was sentenced to 14 years in prison, which is the minimum sentence for murder. That's disgusting. Yeah. Wait until you hear this. 
but he was released after four years due to good behavior. No. No one knows anything else about what he's doing now. He's probably in witness protection, which is probably a good thing. Well, he's probably dead now. Yeah, now he's probably dead. Yeah. But he probably, you know, kind of went off the grid. Um, But here's my thoughts. Could he have possibly been haunted by Teresita Bassa to confess? Ooh. Just like how she haunted the Chua couple to solve her murder? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We'll never know. Now, um, still to this day, this case baffles so many people. And it's one of the most interesting stories surrounding how a ghost solved their own murder. That is nuts. That Crazy was really interesting story, but I such love a it. cool story. I was yeah. waiting for this because you've been talking about it for so long, <laughs> and it look look on your face at how happy you are now that it's here. Delight. That is such a cool story. Yeah, it's yeah. just crazy that she was just so relentless, and it sucks because she's such a cute lady. Like you yeah. can look up pictures of her. It's just such a shame that she had so much trust in people around her and yeah. didn't think that somebody could be so bad. And so he got convicted, but there's still no justice there. No. So. Teresita, I know you wanted to move on, but secretly I hope you didn't and you haunted the fuck out of this That's guy. what yeah, I dude. honestly hope that after the mistrial, she was just like, yo, fuck that guy. And then once he got sentenced to prison, she could Because it's weird. It's like, he he's like so hard in denying it and trying to be sly and all of a sudden writes a 13-page confession. So I wonder if she did visit him. And, all of a, and then again, like I'm sure like his lawyer was probably like, oh, we can win this. This is easy. It's, yeah, you know, he's, probably, the... he's probably back into the, okay, yeah, I can uh, get away with yeah, this. Yeah, that's exactly how it went. And then all of a sudden, confesses again, so maybe she keeps going back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like his lawyers were like, yeah, these people are nuts. Like, we're totally going to win this trial. This is like, it's a fucking no-brainer. And then all of a sudden, he, his lawyer's like, no, don't confess. And then he's just like, yeah, I'm totally confessing. I'm changing. I'm guilty. I feel like now if they had a signed confession, this would go a lot differently. Yeah, yeah I feel like the justice system hopefully has gotten better since the 70s because yeah. Yeah. that's well, now just we have DNA. I don't think we had that in the 70s. Oh, uh, yeah, you're right. But, uh, I don't know if that would have necessarily been helpful here. Yeah, because she was like charred, like her hair was burnt off, the half oh. side of her face was charred, like she was in bad shape. So they really couldn't get much off of her body. They didn't get anything, I think, yeah. from what I read, so... Jesus Christ. That's the story of Teresita Bassa, who solved her own fucking murder with Crazy. jewelry. Literally a spirit of justice. Fucking badass bitch. Yeah. Did you say why she picked the Chua's to, uh... I think... I think it's basically said that because they're Filipino... It's and like you'll get her it, local you know. Lang- like they knew her native language, right. and like like you're more you likely know, to felt, empathize. Yeah, but then I did see on a couple sources that three other people have said that they saw Teresita asking for help at the hospital after her death. Wow. wow. So like, regardless, she was looking for somebody to help her, and mm-hmm. you know, she was basically she, uh, assuming she went to the Chuas and was like, "You guys are my last hope." Yeah. Mm-hmm. So right. that's from what I gathered from the story. Kudos to Doctor. Dr. Chua. Yeah. yeah. I can dig it. The real dude. <laughs> the realist. Well, these have been some incredible stories of Spirits of Justice. It really does the name of the podcast episode justice. Yeah, it does. <laughs> really. It really does. It, it, it's, it's insane. Yeah. The triumph the triumph of like the human spirit when they're pissed off. And about it's women. Yeah, so it's and it's all women. Yeah. More empowering. Yeah. Girl power. For ladies. Crazy. Yeah. Wow. Now that these stories uh, are shared, 
let's get into the segment of the podcast for the spooky fan story. Spooky fan story. Jordan, you got an exciting email from someone all the way from Canada. Yes, Cheryl from Canada in Toronto. All right, so Hannah is going to take it away with this spooky fan story. All right, uh, story from Cheryl from Toronto. Way back when I was 15, my dad was given a free holiday from his company who owned various properties in North America. He chose Fort Lauderdale during March break, our school holiday time in the spring. One morning, before anyone was up, I heard someone walk into the bedroom I was sharing with my sister. My back was to the door, so I just pretended I was still asleep. I heard them walk to the foot of my bed and pause. Ooh. Then they smacked my feet, which were under the covers. What? I'm sorry, I want to <laughs> laugh because you want to be startled, but then it's funny trying to imagine like a sheeted ghost, like, wah, and like Just smacking. Like a, a smacking of all things, you smack the feet? I mean, I guess it's right there. It's but, nice and yeah. flat to smack, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> sorry we're laughing. I'm sure sorry. you were scared, but. Sorry, Cheryl. Uh, they smacked my feet, which were under the covers. I didn't move. I kept pretending I was asleep. Smart. Yeah. <laughs> they made a noise, like a laugh, but it was just air being forced through the nose, kind of like a puff of air. Oh, that's creepy. Uh. Then I heard them walk out of the room. I immediately looked over to my sister's bed, and she was still asleep. I got up and saw my parents' bedroom door was still closed, and down the hall in the family room, my brother was still asleep on the couch. For the rest of the holiday, I kept saying jokingly that the condo was haunted. On the drive home, my dad admitted that his boss had mentioned to him that the previous people who had stayed there had said that the place was haunted. My parents decided to omit that information <laughs> <Of course. laughs> when telling us about this vacation as they didn't want us to freak out and refuse to go. In parentheses, I probably would have refused to go. <laughs> Cheryl's smart. <laughs> we like Cheryl. Uh... Once we were home, I started seeing a shadow figure in our house and at my high school. Oh, that's oh, creepy. Shit. Terrible. He would sit in the corner chair in the living room, or he would hang out in the doorways of classrooms. That's fucking creepy. Yeah, that's scary. Kind of following you. Right. Uh, all the way from Florida. Ghost of Florida, man. Yeah. But Fort Lauderdale is actually pretty haunted. Is it? A lot of it, yeah. Oh, shit. I feel like Florida, that, that area, is just like yeah. St. Augustine. St. Augustine, insanely haunted. haunted. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Got some weird shit going on down there. Anyway, sh uh, I joked that he was the ghost from the condo and that he came home with me and followed me around. I saw him for just a few months and then he went away. He never did anything except loiter around and I only <laughs> saw him out of the corner of my eye. So I told myself he probably wasn't there and it was just my imagination. The end. That's Cheryl. fucking creepy, Cheryl. <laughs> That's so scary. <laughs> He followed you all the way to Canada from Florida. That's yeah. insane. But it's a really cool story. I like the the fact that the place was haunted. Your parents knew about it, didn't tell you, <laughs> and then you have a paranormal experience. That's yeah, crazy. That's wild. Cheryl, on behalf of America, I'm so sorry you yeah. gave you a ghost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a shitty way to come over here. On behalf of America, we're sorry about Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. Oh I thought it was God. cute at the beginning of her email. She said, hi, guys. I recently found your podcast, and I'm enjoying listening to all the recordings from beginning in order. Wow. Aww. I thought that was very cute. That's that so nice. Well, thank you so much for finding us and listening to us. Thank you so much for, be for being a fan. And thank you so very much for sending in a spooky fan story because we need more of those. Always. Yes, we do. All of you listening, I can't wait to share, like, 
end of year like results from the podcast and how much we've grown. But we have so many listeners and no one's sending in spooky fan stories. And it doesn't even have to be about ghosts. Like we have somebody coming up that talks about sleep paralysis. We yeah. you can tell us about yeah. a cryptid sighting, a freaking alien. Yeah, I'm still we're waiting, on, still the waiting for the aliens. It could be anything weird. Yeah, and we had stories that weren't about themselves. It was about experience from a family member. Like you could do that. And again, you don't have to. You can be anonymous. Cheryl just was like, use my first name, that's it. That's fine. Yeah. Okay, we just use her first name, Cheryl. We're not going to find you. Yeah. We promise. <laughs> we're, we're not going to give out any weird information. Um, we just want more spooky fan stories for the podcast. It's really fun. And if you don't feel comfortable sending an email with your name attached to it, literally make a, face, a fake Facebook and fucking message us and say, hey, this is my yeah. story. Message us on Facebook, Keep me on anonymous, Instagram, you know? TikTok, wherever you want to message us. Um, just send in your spooky fan stories because we love reading them. Um, the feedback that we've gotten from other listeners, they love hearing the spooky fan stories. Yeah. It's and like we don't have to get part. rid of that part because yeah. we don't have yeah, any. you guys. Yeah. So send in your spooky fan stories. But all of you, thank you so much for listening. Um, thank you for supporting the podcast and for being a part of uh, our spooky journey through all yeah. these crazy yes. stories. It was a crazy episode. Yeah. yeah. Really fun to talk about though. Yeah, I oh, enjoyed yeah. this. Really one. fun. It, it, I love the mixture of the true crime with the paranormal. Mm -hmm. It's such a cool entanglement. Yep. A lot of fucking fun. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, again, reminder, uh, our holiday merch is out. Get it before the holidays so that you can get it for yourself or get it for loved ones, friends, whatever. We have podcast-specific merch now, podcast-specific t-shirts. Um, there's mugs. There's... Uh, uh, travel mugs. There's stickers. There's a fanny pack. There's a oh, the joggers, hats, all kinds of stuff. It's really cool. All says Ghost Encounters. There's some that say Stay Spooky on it. Um, there's podcast specific merch that I'm still trying to buy. I <laughs> want <laughs> all the podcast merch available. <laughs> is it the ske the skeleton being uh, abducted by aliens? I have, have that oh, one. She, that was dude. the first that she. As soon as that came out, she bought it right away. That's my <laughs> favorite like, one. <laughs> See, I had a good idea there. It's a good one. Yeah. And don't forget about Patreon. Seriously, like the ad-free episodes is great. You don't have to listen to all the gibberish of all the ads and crap. You can skip right over that. Um, you get the podcast early. You don't have to wait for it. Mm -hmm. You get it a couple, a day, at least a day, or if not a couple days early. Mm -hmm. We have that shirt that we uploaded to yes, Patreon. Yes, there is True. a holiday Ghost Encounters Patreon-specific shirt. Very that exclusive. only Patreon members can get. Yes. You guys. I don't even have it. Exclusive. Exclusive. And you get 10% off the store. You can use it towards that shirt, whatever the hell you want. And that 10% off is with you for as long as you're a Patreon subscriber. It's not once done. We give it to you for the whole time because yep. we love you for being a Patreon subscriber. Um, so check it out. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash Ghost Encounters Podcast. The link's in you know, the show notes and everywhere else that we post it around. And don't forget to follow us on social. Uh, but we love you all. Uh, that's all the time we have for today. Stay spooky. Remember to help out your local ghost. And, you know, if you if you think something sounds crazy, say it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>